Hello and welcome to the Future Work Life Podcast. My name is Ollie Henderson and in today's episode we'll be talking about writing with Alison Jones. Alison is the founder of Practical Inspiration Publishing, a publishing partner for businesses and the host of the Extraordinary Business Book Club, a podcast and community for writers and readers of extraordinary business books. She's written and edited several books herself, including This Book Means Business, and we discuss how to decide whether writing a book is right for you and explore how to develop a positive mindset for writing, whether the end result is a book, a blog, or a business report. Alison shares some fantastic insights into the habits of a successful writer and some practical tips that will immediately improve the consistency and quality of your work. As you'll hear, Alison is also the person who offered me my book deal, which tells you that she's both knowledgeable and has impeccable taste. In September, I joined a 10-day business book proposal challenge with a vague notion of what I'd like to say were I to write a book at some point. I finished with a clear idea about why now is the perfect time to write it, who my audience is, and the steps I'll follow to publish something that I hope you'll all want to read, all of which is a massive compliment to Alison, the course, and the community you join when you take part in it. If you enjoy listening to our conversation, please make sure you subscribe to this podcast and my newsletter. Also check out Alison's book, her various courses and the podcast, all of which I'll link to in the show notes. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Alison Jones. Alison, thanks very much for joining me today. It's nice to be here, Ollie. Good to see you. I'm just going to start with a broad question. What made you fall in love with books and decide that was the career for you? It's just been there forever, you know. It's I, as a kid, always had a nose in a book. Um, do you know? I was going to be a lawyer. I was registered on a law course, and then I woke up one morning uh, just before my final, my university finals. I was like, "What am I doing? I don't want to be a lawyer." <laughs> <laughs> and I took a day in a library to work out what the hell I did want to do with my life if it wasn't going to be a lawyer. And uh, and I remember, you know, looking up and seeing all these books around me and just thinking, of course, of course it's books. You know, it was a real kind of ta-da moment. So, yeah, I went to have a chat with um, with a publisher who happened to know one of my tutors. And she said, um, can you write? And I said, yes. And I came out with an agreement to write a book. <laughs> Right. And, wow. and so I sort of fell into it that way. I was an author first. I was a bookseller, which are the two sort of pointy ends of publishing, and then became an editor. And uh, yeah, that was a million years ago. So here I still am. So it makes sense that you are now helping people write their books. You talk about the book being a really critical part in supporting your business. How can it do that? And at what stage should people start thinking about doing that to complement the work that they do? Yeah, it's a great question. And I should say up front, I don't think necessarily writing a book is for everyone. I think if you are a confident writer, then clearly, you know, it's, it's it's something to think about. But there may be other more authentic ways for you to connect with your audience. So I don't think it's the only way by any means. And I think in terms of when, I don't think it makes sense to say, I'm going to start a business, let me write a book as as a sort of way into that. I think if your book is going to be really helpful to people, it's got to embody something that is original and significant and helpful, frankly. So that probably is going to come out of some work that you've been doing, some intellectual property that you have been creating over a period of time, testing it out with people, iterating it. 
So I think there comes a point, I, I always, I liken it in my book to making a cup of tea, you know, you put the kettle on to boil <laughs> and there comes a point where you're at the rolling boil and it's time and you don't do it before that. But if you leave it too long after that, the kind of the, the energy is gone and, and, and the sense of it being the right time to write the book has gone. And you, yeah, it, you know, there is a time when it's a really good moment to crystallize everything that you're, you're doing. The, the reason why a book is so powerful is it's scalable and also that it really does encapsulate the stuff that you do in the room in front of a group of people, you know, with one to one with somebody. None of that scales beyond that room and that person. Yeah. The book enables you to reverse engineer what it is you're doing, capture the intellectual property around that, and then send it out to people who have never met you. Um, but yeah. can then through your book hear your voice in the head and, and access the, the content that you have. So clearly having thought pretty carefully about subjects is a prerequisite for writing a book. Coming in on that, I would say yes, I think, uh, to be to make it maximally useful. However, if you're really interested in something, writing a book can be a really great way of exploring it as well. You can take a yeah. more journalistic approach, but I think that's a slightly different kind of book. Obviously, a lot of the people you work with would have an established business or some sort of reputation as a coach, a trainer, an entrepreneur. But I would imagine the process of writing a book does trigger new ideas as well. Yes, that happens less rarely than the the deepening and the the new connections and new analogies, new ways of explaining things. So right. it, it's more often an enriching of, of what you're already doing. Yeah. Because you're doubling down on it, because you're researching, because you're having those conversations, because you're in that creative space. It's less often oh, I'm going to pivot my business and do this instead. You know, that, that doesn't happen so often. I think it's happened yeah. once in my experience. How will a writing a book actually help you grow your business? Practically speaking, it takes a lot of time. That's yeah. time you might otherwise spend with clients or with your team. So how do you actually get the, the upside after spending all that time writing, thinking about the book and marketing That's a great it? question. Yeah. And you need to think really carefully about the return on investment you know what is the ROI on this book because if you're thinking about book sales <laughs> books are low price they're low margin you need to shift an awful lot of them before you start to see the, the return and you probably won't because you know books are hard to shift as well mm. so I'm, I'm making it sound like a really unattractive proposition <laughs> I know <laughs> but if you put that groundwork in of going oh, actually how is this book going to support what I'm doing how's it going to reach people that I can't reach you know, at the moment, how's it going to support the the talks, the training, you know, whatever it is that, that you're doing, then suddenly it becomes a real asset in your business and part of what you're doing. And that's where you start to see the return on investment. <laughs> I have actually had people say, you know, I'm writing this book so that I never have to have this conversation with a new client again. <laughs> so <laughs> read this, come back to me. You know? <laughs> so that's that as well. But yeah, I think thinking about the return on investment in your business, what would that book need to achieve for you to make it worthwhile? Yeah. But also recognizing the intrinsic value of it. So there's the transactional value I guess of you know, having a book in your business which people tend to think about first but actually that process those months while you're researching while you're writing while you're reaching out to people while you're talking about the book all of those as you know are incredibly productive um, opportunities to to grow your business to deepen your understanding yeah. of your thing to reach people that you wouldn't normally be able to reach because you're saying hey I'm writing a book can I have a conversation and it's a whole different conversation than reaching out with a sales call so thinking about how you you can build your, your content marketing, your platform, your network, your connections, all of that 
is part of that process of writing the book or it can be we'll definitely delve into that in a minute but actually just on that intrinsic point I mean actually if you're somebody who enjoys writing it is a brilliant process anyway I mean I, I am as any regular listener will know writing a book supported by you I'm proud to say and I actually really enjoy those writing sessions it's those times to consolidate my thinking about it as you said you know deepen my research into an area and, it, and I'd imagine it's much like painting you know if you love painting having that opportunity and making the opportunity to paint is in and of itself a really enjoyable experience and for me writing has become that so that perhaps that isn't the ROI point but there are other reasons that you might indulge yourself in in the process but it, it's the deep work isn't it and that's the stuff that it's really hard to find time for you know if you're running a business particularly if you you could spend 24 hours a day you know minus the sleeping bit um just reacting to everybody else's agenda and and doing 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 having that time to write to paint you know whatever it is that you do that you carve out time to do something to your own agenda, tapping into your own creativity, allowing yourself to think more deeply at your own pace without distraction. Just that is, is subversive these days when your attention is a commodity that, that, you know, big tech companies are paying a lot of money for. So I think that in itself is a really powerful thing. And I think as AI becomes more and more part of our lives, that ability to focus that ability to do the deep work and draw out new connections, really understand what we're thinking about something will become more and more important. So it's one of the reasons why I do recommend, yeah, daily writing practice, even if it's just a micro writing practice, just a few minutes, because it sets the intention that this is my time. Yeah. Well, I'd love to maybe get into some practical advice. So let's assume somebody's listening is thinking, right, well, Maybe this, maybe this book writing larks for me. I'll give it a go. I'll try the daily writing practice. What are some tips to, to start? Can you maybe just give us a few ideas that you, you'd suggest to people when they do start around how to build it into your schedule, uh, how to identify those times at which mm-hmm. you're much more likely to find flow? So I wouldn't start with a book is, is, my, is my first point. <laughs> Books are big and they do take an awful lot of time. And it's quite, you know, you run out of energy quite quickly. I'd, I'd start with something smaller. But writing is so much part, of, it's such a business skill, isn't it? And when we think of business writing, we tend to think of the things that we do for other people. The emails, the pitches, the reports, the even the blog posts, actually. And turning that around to think, well, actually, how is this writing going to help me? It is, I think, the first step. So what I recommend on WriteBrain, which is a, a course that I run, is, is a, a sort of micro writing, daily micro writing practice of six minutes. And and I start by giving people prompts. And then the idea is, you you know, with, and lots of different tools and techniques. And, and then you, you just literally set a timer for six minutes and you write your prompt down and you just write. And the point is that this is writing for you. Nobody else can see this. You don't need to worry about the apostrophes. You don't need to worry about saying nice things. <laughs> it doesn't even have to make sense. Yeah. Just right. And it's a way of kind of downloading and processing. And I think uh, I've heard the word metabolizing, which I think is a great word. So it's metabolizing experience. And it's also helping you see connections and understand why you reacted like that. <laughs> or this itch of an idea that, you know, what actually does that look like? And, and what could you do next to forward that? So it's just that little kind of space in the day for writing what you don't yet know. Because normally when we sit down to write, we've got our thoughts fairly clear and we're writing that to convince somebody else. But I think that swapping that around and seeing writing as something that you do to find out what it is you think 
yeah. is, is kind of radical, transformative, um, and it doesn't need to take long. I suppose a component of that is free writing, which yes. we've done as part of the, I can't remember if it's the boot camp or the proposal challenge. But, um, I teach it in the proposal it. challenge as a, as a sort right. of warm, it's a great way of warming up to any writing um, yeah. session, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in, in just to explain what that is, you just sit down and you write. But what's amazing is you do, after often, you know, this is my personal experience, I possibly start with gibberish, but as long as you accept it will be gibberish <laughs> or at least not necessarily following any particular direction that's okay it's sort of the precursor to beginning to formulate ideas and i've personally found that and a, a, a way to get inspiration to to delve into subjects that i wouldn't have otherwise considered so it's sort of a starting point it can sometimes trigger ideas about the things i'll write about later in the week so actually that in it i really agree i mean I try to do that at least once a week. In fact, at the beginning of my most writing sessions now, I try to treat the first couple of minutes as free writing. And I often, on yeah. you know, writing on Word, for example, on, on the computer, I'll just delete the first couple of hundred words because it's just a way to find it's some just got degree you of going. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's most people's, certainly my experience, you know, you start off the first page is utter garbage, you know, <laughs> you just think, oh, what's the point? But be, the time is going and you know, it's only six minutes and, and you, you know, any fool can do anything for six minutes and, and by three minutes in, and you can see when I'm doing it in a room, you can see people do it. They're sort of writing and then they go, <sighs> and there's a yeah. sort of a breath and, and suddenly they get, oh, and it, what writing does is allows, you know, in your brain, the things go round and round and you can only think one thing at a time and then it's gone. When you're writing it down, it just allows you to kind of pull at the edge of the thought and kind of unspool it onto the page and, and follow it. And because the timer is on, it just kills the urge to check Facebook or be distracted. It's a very short period of time. And then it allows you to focus. So that's very freeing. And knowing that you don't have to write anything that makes any kind of sense is also very freeing. <laughs> and, yeah. and we know that when you're feeling playful and, and free and, you know, not threatened, that's when the good stuff happens. And it is, it is difficult to shift that mindset, actually, because I think anybody who does write regularly, let's say they write for their job, whether they're writing reports or whether they're writing blog posts, often it's highly edited and you have to edit yes. quite quickly. And so you get used to that. You write a sentence and think, I could write that sentence better, and you go back and, and write it. And, of course, that, that defeats the point of what we're talking about here. So they are quite different, they're quite different exercises. And getting your head around that, there's lots of stuff to get around your head around, actually, frankly, mm -hmm. when you start thinking about writing regularly um, and freeing I mean, you your know, mind. We say writing, but it's so many different types of things, isn't it? You know, we, we, yeah. I call this exploratory writing, but, you know, free writing is a part of that. Um, but also when you're writing a book, an awful lot of that looks like talking to people or mm. reading or researching or staring out the window. You know? <laughs> and yeah. and the, the, the writing that you do where you're repurposing blog posts that you've written or you know, course material, that's one kind of writing. There's another kind of writing when you're like trying to really articulate the the core message of the book, which is really coming from the heart of you. There's another piece of writing when you're um, writing a sort of a case study and you're trying to write a story that's going to engage people and, and let them see the relevance of this. It's like, you know, snow, it's sort of 50, famously 50 words for snow. It's like, I think writing's a bit like that. And the one word just doesn't do it justice. On that point, so I think what a lot of people struggle with when they write is it, it, it doesn't sound like the way they speak. <laughs> so, you know, because, again, speaking to somebody, particularly in a dialogue, you know, in, in a conversation with somebody, it doesn't have any definable structure necessarily. You move in different directions. You use colloquialisms, all sorts of um, 
verbal devices in order to communicate your point and and communicate and I suppose demonstrate your personality exactly gesticulation just as I did there (laughs) but it's difficult to do that on the page isn't it so because a lot of I certainly my experience has been you can read something back and think it just sounds terribly dry (laughs) and that's not the way you intend it are there any are there any ways you can approach it to try and capture your tone of voice yeah and of course you don't want I mean you and I both podcast you read back the transcripts and you're like that sentence completely changed direction halfway through I never actually finished that point you know so you you don't want it to to be spoken spoken English is different to written English and it should be Um, however it has an energy and an authenticity and a personality that tends to get beaten out of us at school (laughs) we're really really focused on getting the grammar right so you want something that sounds like the best of you you know when you're speaking perhaps giving your TED talk that you have developed over time and performed and are really familiar with. That's the kind of tone we want to capture. So it does, when somebody is reading it, especially if they know you, they can hear your voice in their head. It does sound like you. Having read your book, when they meet you, they should recognize the voice. Mm. But it's the best of your voice. And, And you do, you know, the great thing about writing is that it gives you the chance to edit, to rewrite, to crystallize down, to take out the fluff and, and to really kind of make the impact on the page. Um, I always say to people, once you have written the book, as part of your editing, read it back to yourself, because then you pick up all those sentences that a human being would never say, and you know, yeah. the highfalutin words yeah. and the complex structures that we just don't need. Keep it punchy, keep the energy high, but it just should sound like you at your best. Yeah, and when you say read it back to yourself, you mean read it out loud? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So actually, actually speak those words. That's interesting because I, I um, often, as um, a regular, sort of towards the end of the series of my podcast, I read through the newsletters I've written in the period. In the early days, that was a sign that my writing probably was a bit highfalutin or there was areas, actually where I picked it up was perhaps areas I wasn't quite as comfortable writing about. And when I read it out loud, I could tell that. Whereas those which probably came much more naturally and I wasn't referring to, to lots of people or quoting lots of people just sounded more natural and you could probably sense that I was in my comfort zone but, yeah. but look this is good or bad I mean you have to push yourself out of the comfort zone don't you particularly if you're going to consider writing a book because yeah. it's a it's an undertaking and and you know I said right back at the beginning I wouldn't start with writing a book but also there comes a time when it is time to think about that and I think you know once you've developed your craft once you feel more comfortable with it once you have some things you know book scale to say then all that work that you do in the newsletter, in the blog posts, in in the free writing exercises, you know, then then that's been building your writing muscle and you're good to go. So this is a pretty key question. It's about mindset, because when most of us think about writing a book, our immediate next thought is, what right do I have to write this book? Who am I? Who am I to write this book? Who am I? Surely this has all been said before and much more articulately. So, I mean, where do you start in trying to get rid of that voice in your head well first of all just you saying that and people hearing that and me going yep (laughs) I hope that you know if you are listening to this and if that is you it's reassuring to know that every single person has exactly that same thought and I always find it quite you know I call it the chimp the chimp in your head that's saying all this kind of stuff you know nobody's going to want to read it it's going to be rubbish you know who are you to write Mm -hmm. about Um, And one of the things that it most often says is, you know, you're not original. You haven't got an original idea. And of course, none of the stuff that this chimp is saying to you is at all original. It's what it says to everybody. So there's a lovely irony in that. (laughs) 
Um, and yes, the clearly there are a lot of books in the world, and I'm not going to sort of say to somebody you should churn something out, you know, in in a weekend or in a, in a few weeks that's just derivative. It's a me too. It's, it's not saying anything original. I think if you haven't actually got something worth saying in a book. Then, then don't actually, because, you know, you're making a big demand on people's time. So I think there is, it's like imposter syndrome is always useful in a sense, isn't it? Because it helps you be your best. It, that, that sort of edge of fear helps you perform, helps you care about what you're doing. So I think that there is, um, there is a, a value to that chimp chatter, but it's not to say that you shouldn't do it. It's just to say, okay, well, how do I answer that? What am I saying? What evidence do I have? my ideas are helpful. And you can look at the people that you've worked with, you can look at the way that you perhaps you present ideas that people get when they haven't got those ideas before. There aren't that many really, really original ideas in the world. Um, and quite often, there's a really good reason why nobody's you know, had that idea before, because it doesn't work or something. So I think that the originality is less of an issue. It's the way that you present it, and the way that you help people understand it and apply it in their lives that, that you should be focusing on. I remember you saying to us as a group, if something's so unique that somebody's never read it before, then it's very often very difficult for them to understand. Certainly repackaging existing ideas or concepts in a way which is more engaging feels like often the type of book you, you, you want to read. So I, me I remember doing that with a few authors. I won't name them, but there was two authors actually who had a very, very similar book out last year. Two well, very well-known authors. And for, one, for me, one of them captured it far better than the other. And, you yeah. would, and it's, uh, it was about uniqueness and uh, originality. But, uh, oh, how ironic. <laughs> but there's something, it's not just about repackaging. I think what it is, is what every single one of us brings a really unique set of experiences, ways of seeing the world, personally, you know, the, the mix that is you, thinking about the book that you can write that only you can write. Mm. So, you know, drawing in that first job that you had or your love of horses or, you know, what, whatever it is that, that, that makes you you. All of that enables you to see new connections, create new analogies, um, structure something and present it in a way that makes sense to people. Um, and, and delivers a bit of sort of you in there. So you might be drawing in uh, a scientific principle because your hobby is reading New Scientist or something and, and, and putting that into the science of managing change. You know, that very often the, the originality is not so much in the idea per se, but in the way that you bring ideas together, you create analogies, you, you borrow a model from one area and apply it in another. So I think that's quite a useful um, starting point to, to, to come up. if you want if you want to do something original which I think it actually does matter you know you certainly mm. as a publisher one of the things that you do is a competing titles analysis and it's important that your author can show how their book is different from the people's um so that there is an element of of needing to do something that earns your book its place in the world I think just building on that point and it's a slightly different question so I get that idea that you might bring your influences into the book and combine those with the subject matter in a new and interesting way. What about actually bringing your own stories into the book? Because yeah, again, that's a great question. Mindset, mindset would be well. Yeah, I, I think people would much rather hear about someone they they know about who's famous um, rather than my own experience. But of course, as you suggested, very often one of the few unique aspects of your book is the way that you tell it and your lived experience. Yeah. So 
how do you get that balance and is it more appropriate to some types of business books than others yeah i think your story is is important because it's part of the empathy piece isn't it it's part of the the reader identifying with you liking you you know and that matters in in any sort of relationship it's quite easy as an author to get carried away with your own story and to tell it in mind-numbing detail <laughs> and, and the reader frankly doesn't care so yeah. it, it's it's very much a balance but I think that the principle to hold in your mind is that this is not your book yes you're writing it but it's for the reader and the clearer you are about who that reader is and what they need from this book the stronger your ability to test the stuff that goes into it against that and make sure it's serving the reader. So you will have stories from your life that illustrate the points that you're making, which are engaging, which might even be funny, um, which make you more vulnerable, you know, but if you're doing it just because you like the sound of your own voice, (laughs) we've all been in those conversations. It's not going to work. And again, talking about audience. So putting your publisher's hat on, you're going to have to ensure that this book's going to sell enough copies to make at least make your money back. I do to make a little bit of money. So, you, so by nature, that means it has to have a significant enough reach. However, often I find within businesses, people's success comes from being specialists, specialists, you know, within a niche. How do, you, how do you find the balance, the right balance there? Because I know this is something I've really wrestled with. Or I'm still wrestling with, you know, the, there is really some, somebody I can see people in my mind, the people I'm writing for, but my worry is that that isn't a broad enough audience. So then you start having to think about writing for, for somebody else. And there is a sense, I think I've said these words to you before, you worry that it's going to water down the message. So how do you, you know, I suppose you could look at this with the author's hat on, but also your publishers. How do you navigate that challenge? How do you find the balance? Yeah. First of all, I'm going to challenge that statement right at the beginning about you need to sell enough copies to make make it worthwhile. Um, because actually, business books are a bit of a special case here. If you have a business and you write a book that sells 50 copies but those 50 copies are bought by the right people who come to you and bring you in for a multi-million pound contract for their company, the return on investment is pretty good for that book. So with business books, it isn't actually always about the number of copies that you sell. It's much more about the impact on the business. Uh, I can't remember who it was said that actually you might make more from the copies that you give away rather than the copies that you sell. But anyway, that's worth keeping in mind. But if you're publishing with a traditional publisher, they make their money out of you know their share of the the revenue from the book sales they're going to want a fairly a broad enough audience that there are enough people to buy it to make them money but a narrow enough audience that they can reach them really well with a marketing campaign and that is quite an art quite a dark art yeah um i think of it as a as a um target like a like you might in archery an archery target you've got a bullseye and for me that bullseye is if, if only one person ever read this book this is the who you'd want them to be this is the kind of person so it might you might be thinking you might be thinking in terms of demographic but I think it's probably more helpful to think in terms of psychographic you know what is what is that person struggling with um, but you need to think about you know what, what kind of role they're in what agency they have over the problem you know so just being really clear about what what it is they're struggling with away from that bullseye there will be secondary markets tertiary markets as well you want as many people as possible, really, to be able to get something out of this book. 
But the clearer you are in the person in that bullseye, the easier it is to write because you're kind of almost having a conversation with them. And you can draw in studies that, that really speak to them. You can, um, you know, you use the right kind of language. You can test it. <laughs> you can actually get those people as beta readers. Um, but that doesn't mean that it won't be valuable for students studying that or, or people in a, you know, in a not-for-profit sector doing a similar role or, you know, whatever it is. So it doesn't, it's not quite as binary as, you know, just one group of people. When I think about the way I've approached this, and I know it's similar for some of the other people within the group that um, I've, I've joined, we, we're doing a boot camp together, your boot camp. I think many of us are writing content anyway. And as you said earlier on, one type of writing is repurposing the content you've already written for a book. I'm thinking about people sort of taking small steps into this process. And as you said, a good start is to just be writing regularly Mm -hmm. and not taking on the mammoth task of writing a book, but writing something else. But can it contribute to a book down the line? And how difficult is it repurposing a blog post or a white paper you've written for a client and then turning that into something which holds together as a book? I'd say it's really hard to take content that you wrote without thinking about it as part of a book. So it's content that you have already written, if you like, and turning it into a book. People do do it, but it it always feels a little bit pulled together, a bit raggedy around the edges. What I would say um, is, and of course, you started with the 10 day business book proposal challenge. You know, when when you get to the point where you've got a sort of sense of, oh, yeah, this could be a book here, you know, you've got an idea. One of the courses that I run is a a proposal challenge where we kind of pull that together and and you get a kind of rough table of contents uh, and a sense of who it's for and, you know, all the big things that you have to ask yourself when you do a book. And once you've got that, once you've got a table of contents and a sense of what this book is doing in the world and who it's speaking to, then you can kind of plan a content strategy that is designed to populate that table of contents. And that's a lot easier. So you can create a series of blog posts knowing that they have to work as blog posts, but also then you can sort of drop them into the right place in that table of contents. And when the day comes when you've got, you know, roughly the whole thing filled in, then you go and edit it and you will smooth it down. You will take out the, the twiddles you put at the start and the finish of the blog posts. Um, you'll, you'll probably rewrite sections, but then you have something that was designed to fit together and that tends to work a lot better. And your work on the book also isn't limited to the writing that you do, is it? I am literally, as we speak, doing research for my book because you know the podcasts which I'm recording and distributing at the moment are all actually referring to the table of contents I wrote in my proposal challenge. And not every single question I'm asking you is specifically for my book, but sprinkled in there are questions which I'm trying to get to the heart of in the book, Work Life Fly. I should plug it, shouldn't I, Alison? Um, yeah, absolutely. What was it called again, Ollie? Work Life Fly. Well, make sure you're, make sure you're marked <laughs> in your book all the time, apparently. That's a great phrase. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but mine's come about the other way, where I was already creating this content and a book seemed the logical next step. But if you have in your mind that you might in the future write a book, you can use all of these types of content to mm. feed into your thinking. So, you know, validate ideas. What sort of guests on the podcast would be helpful to validate your thinking about a particular subject area? And I know that's what you did as well for your book, isn't it? I mean, you've, you've had a long running podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Forever. Five and a half, six years now. Yeah. Um, And of course, what happens as well is you build those relationships. People connect you to their connections, which is gold. And 
when it came to actually publish the book, you know, I, I sent the relevant sections to to the guests saying, you know, happy with this. And most of them then came back to endorse the book, which is mm. huge. You yeah. know? So it, it's not just about the raw content. And I, I always say to people, don't, for goodness sake, don't shut yourself in a room and write this book and then launch it on an unsuspecting world. Talk about it. Reach out to people. Ask who else you should be speaking to. Because it will... It will enrich your own ideas as, as you're discovering, but also it creates that fabulous network and, and um, gets people invested in the book. And, and, you know, when you come to launch, that that's that's what you need. I mean, the network point is interesting, isn't it? Because I think some people have a very strong network already, and that is a fantastic position to be in if you are planning to market a book. But not everybody does. And some people have jobs in which networking isn't a core component. Is it a prerequisite from a publisher's point of view to have a existing platform? And if so, where do people start if they don't currently have one? It's probably slightly overstating it to say it's a prerequisite, but not by much. Mm. Um, publishers want you to be an active um, part, uh, partner in the marketing of the book. And it's very hard for you to do that if you don't have a platform. But that platform doesn't need to be 20,000 followers on Instagram minimum. It could be really good connections within your speciality. It could be that you can get in front of big conferences. It could be an affiliation with a, with a business school that gives them the credibility to, to sort of sell it into uh, other academic institutions. So it depends on the publisher. It depends on the kind of book as to what kind of platform you need. But whether it's a kind of formal or informal or, or a kind of, you know, affiliation type thing or, or a social media type thing, you, you have to decide what what's authentic to you what you can do and double down on it and and make it work as well as you can and that's that's for your business as well as your book frankly and the closer mm. you can align the two the better often the people i have on this show are authors and the guests i've had recently i've mentioned i'm writing a book and without fail everybody has offered to support me in some way i think probably knowing how challenging a process it is and how much i guess yeah. they've relied on other people in the same way and I was just going to say, it's also still something that has real interest for people. So, and I think that's a really important reason why writing a book is is so valuable, that people are genuinely interested in that creative process. You know, if they're interested in the field, then of course they're going to want to sort of be, it's still something that is a really attractive thing to be involved in. Um, and so that helps. Yeah. What's a brain trust? I mean, brain trust, book team, you know, there's lots of different ways that you can talk about it. Basically, as you talk to people about the book, and as you're finding now, people tend to react really positively. Um, but there are degrees of positivity. There's the, oh, that sounds really interesting. You know, I'd love to see it when it comes out. And there's the, oh, that's amazing. Have you thought about X? And you need yeah. to talk to Y. And oh, and then they email you later saying, I saw this thing and I thought you, you should know about it. And people self-select. And there are people who will be absolute treasures for you, not just in connecting you to people, in bringing your attention to interesting things, but also, frankly, in keeping you going when you want to stop because they'll be asking you how the book's going and you feel accountable to them. And, you know, that's not to be underestimated either. So you can keep that really informal and just have those conversations one-to-one. -one. But what I find really helpful is to formalise it a little bit and have, for example, you can put your document up as a, as a Google document and invite people to you know give their thoughts as, as you write which feels terrifying but once you've done it you're like oh my goodness this is 
gold, you know, mm. um, or you could have a little Facebook group where you check in regularly with updates and you ask questions and you give, you know, here's the cover options. What do you think? Um, and just giving people a way of being involved in a kind of more ongoing systematic way and also of having conversations themselves because you, you become almost a curator of that community. Um, it's really energizing. It's really helpful. It helps you uh, avoid mistakes. It helps you, you know, deepen the thinking and and sort of just test out ideas and test out ways of presenting things. So we've discussed a few practical examples about how to start the process and keep that motivation going. This is my last question, and it's, it's a bit, bit of a deeper one. Uh, I'm interested what the writing process can teach you about yourself. Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. I think that the, the writing that really does that is the one, we, the kind we were talking about earlier, the exploratory writing, where it's not performative. You're not doing it for anybody else and you're not putting on any kind of mask. You know, when, you, when you're writing a, a blog, you're, you're putting a very positive version of yourself out into the world because that's what the world wants to see, you know, you know. Um, when you're writing a report, it's very factual. It's based on, you know, because that's what the, what is appropriate. In an exploratory writing practice, it's kind of what's on your mind. And there's a process of in, inquiry or inquiry that, that you can go through with yourself. It's really interesting that this is bothering me so much. Why is that? And you can actually start to dig into that and you can think oh that's I see because what I expect from people is this and 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 you can also be a bit more um you can bring some narration some kind of creative writing into it when this person said this or did this what might have been behind that and of course you can never know but even just by exploring it it can you know we have that comfort um attribution bias thing whereby if we do something that's really out of order we we think it's because of a particular situation you know it's not that we're a bad person it's just you know whereas if somebody else isn't they are a bad person and <laughs> and allowing yourself to do that kind of piece of empathy work of what what might have been going on for them cures you of that attribution bias makes you see that actually we're all subject to stuff um it also it just helps you think more deeply about stuff and I think that is something that most of us don't have much time for these days. I mean, certainly it does take time, but I think the reward for most people outweighs the sense of loss of that time. I mean, I have been waking very early recently to make sure I get my hours in because to a certain extent, it is something which you just have to invest the time and you get the result. But, and again, I think I touched on this earlier on. It is one of those rare moments nowadays that I actually feel like I'm getting, you know, I'm in a flow state. And that is intrinsically yeah. rewarding. You're shifting. So, most of us consume stuff most of the time these days and making that deliberate shift into creating. It's very fulfilling. And actually, if, if you just see it as a straight swap, take some time out of consuming and turn it into creating time, then you're not really losing anything. Yeah. So, Alison, I would just like to finish by thanking you again for joining me today, but also introducing me to many of the ideas we've talked about today through the proposal challenge the boot camp and your book tell, tell me the name of the book again this book means business brilliant well i'm going to put links to all of that and say alison i've just about held my voice until the end it's been really really interesting to talk to you ali i've really enjoyed it thank you 
And that was my conversation with Alison Jones. You'll find a link to her book, the course, and her podcast in the show notes. So you might have noticed there was a slight change of plan from what I'd said at the end of last week's podcast. I have recorded a podcast with Grace Lorden, LSE professor and author of Think Big, but we had a few technical problems, so we're going to record again. So that's going to come in a couple of weeks' time. Next week, I am really pleased to bring you an interview that I did with Damien Hughes, who's the host of the High Performance Podcast with Jake Humphreys, one of the most successful podcasts in the UK. And he's also just a generally legendary guy. He's got some amazing insights into the conversations he's had with people in the podcast but also his experience working within all industries including sport over the years so make sure you check that out until then have a great week